Yo, 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 welcome to the Outside the Box podcast, podcast, podcast. Uh, this, this, this is, is, is your favorite podcast, people. Uh, that was produced by one of the greatest producers in the world. Uh, anyway, hey guys, welcome back to the show. Glad to have you. See, this is why I shouldn't start the show. Someone else should start the show because every time I start the show, there's some sort of ignorance that goes on, and you guys just laugh, and that just pushes me to do it even more. So, uh, <laughs> welcome back to the show. Hope you guys enjoyed the last episode. Last episode, we talked about Jordan Sportswear, which um, is going to be a thing. Um, and you know, you guys had your opinions about it down in the comments, and we appreciate you guys uh, giving us that feedback and letting us know how you thought about it. That's what makes this show what it is, the back and forth conversation that we're having. But this episode, we have a lot of good stuff planned for you guys. As you guys know, this show has three people on it. Uh, I am the bad seed. If there was like three great, your parents have three children. One of those children doesn't really live up to the other two. That's me. I'm that kid. Uh, I'm Jacques Slade, uh, aka Cousteau. You can find me all over the internet under that same names and under that same name. And the two good siblings, the good kids, the the ones that got A's and took AP classes. Uh, that's Nick Ingvall and Tiffany Beers. Nick, tell them where they can find uh, you. I don't know if I can live up to all this like credit that you're giving me here. Um, uh, you can find me uh, at Nick Ingvall, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L on all platforms or at Sneaker History or SneakerHistory.com. But really, I think uh, I think I feel fill, fill the void that, or fill the, the position that Jacques's describing there with the uh, the bad seed. I'm always the one that's encouraging, you know, the little devil on the shoulder, encouraging the trouble. Um, but most importantly, we're both here just to learn from Tiffany. And Tiffany, let them know who you are and how they can find you. I'm Tiffany Beers. You can find me at Tiffany Beers on YouTube or Instagram. And um, I had some bad seed days, but I wouldn't characterize myself as a bad seed. I mean, I research and build Excel spreadsheets. If that's being bad, then I'm super bad. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, see, you're pushing the limits there, Tiff. Be careful. <laughs> Would you watch, watch that behavior? Wouldn't want you to get yourself in trouble doing Excel seats and research. You know, I was today, today on Twitter, um, there was the 30 for 30 for, I think it was for Reggie Miller. There was a clip of it. And I felt like that's what happens every time we get on the podcast with Tiffany. Um, <laughs> Reggie, yeah, Reggie yeah. scored, scored, he scored 40 in a game one day and he came home and he was in the car with his parents and his sister and uh, he's kind of hyping himself up in the backyard telling everyone, yeah, I have 40 points. You know, we did this to them, we did that to them. You know, we beat them down, blah, blah, blah. Like kind of bragging, being a little braggadocious about the game. And uh, after he goes through all that, he's like, uh, so, so sis, what, uh, how'd you do in your game tonight? And she's like, oh, um, I scored 105. <laughs> I was like, wow. I mean, just imagine, just imagine having a sibling who's like, quite possibly the greatest athlete of an entire sport and an entire, you know, like the entire, all of women's basketball, you could argue that Cheryl Miller is the best. Like she's like the Michael or LeBron of that, of women's basketball to me. I can't even imagine. Yep. I can't even imagine. 
Yeah, it's 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 crazy. Like you come home, you have a great game. I had forty. <laughs> we crushed them. What about you? Oh, I had a hundred and five. <laughs> oh, oh, it's amazing. Great. Thanks. That makes me feel wonderful. Um, I say all that to say uh, that's how I feel every time we have this podcast with <laughs> Tiffany. Uh, so, with, with, <laughs> with that being said, uh, let's hop into something that had me super excited this past weekend. Tiger Woods finally won a golf tournament after uh, five years. Was it five years? I think it was five years yep, of not winning a tournament, being written off. Uh, people saying that he would never win again and that his career was over. Uh, then he had the back problems and he came back and won this weekend. And it wasn't even a major, it was just a regular PGA tournament event, but it was huge. And it shows you the effect of Tiger on the game of golf. Um, I, I'm an avid golfer i love i love the game um i love to play the game i don't i don't play as much as i used to unfortunately but i do really love the game and i do watching tiger play but it was just it was just an amazing it was amazing one of those things where like if you were watching or if you were actually there like there was so much energy in the room and shows you how one athlete can really have such an effect on on a game and on just culture in general i feel like he him doing that and like it just brought an energy to golf in general that hasn't been there for a long time and there's there's very few athletes that i think can actually can actually do that yeah i think that you know the only other person that i that comes to mind is like is you know michael right like um and in terms of like golf like you know, we've, we've had the conversation about tennis being like such a, uh, overly traditional sport. And I think that golf is, is kind of similar and tiger like, like kind of doesn't push the limits of, of golf in the ways that like, you know, like we talked about like the, like Serena or, you know, Andre Agassi or John McEnroe on that side of things. But like tiger is like, is like, like, really like it, it reminds me of michael jordan right it's like he's he's so good that like people that normally would never pay attention to the sport will just you know this the, like him him winning will literally kick off like six months to a year hopefully depending on people's attention span but like to new people into the sport which you know that just doesn't happen anywhere else that i can think of yeah i mean tiger I have to say, like, when I started at Nike, this was, like, 2004, right? Tiger was very big at that point. Like, he, I had a secret crush on him. He was my favorite (laughs) athlete by a landslide. I mean, you walked into the Tiger Woods building at Nike, and there's these giant pictures of Tiger Woods. And, like, all I ever wanted to do was, like, meet Tiger Woods. And I never actually got a chance to, but... I got a chance to go when Keegan Bradley joined Brand Jordan. I was the developer and innovator on his product with Mark Smith. And I got to go uh, to, like, I actually had a PGA card. And I got to go to the Whoa. tournaments to work with him and make sure his shoes and everything were working out okay. And, you know, a couple times, like, oh, my gosh, there's Tiger. <laughs> Tiger's, uh, Tiger's over there. <laughs> but the energy and the people surrounding Tiger Woods and actually 
watching golf at the tournament is so amazing. And like, I'm super stoked for Tiger. I'm so happy he won last, this past week. And, you know, a, the week before, Keegan won, Keegan Bradley won, and he hasn't won since like 2007 or something like that. So great, yeah. great year for Nike Golf, whatever's left of Nike Golf. But um, yeah, yeah, the remnants I'm, of Nike Golf. <laughs> yeah. I'm super excited. You know, Tiger's had some downfalls over the years. He's had some issues, which has definitely lowered him on the totem pole that I had him on. But um, I think it's super exciting, you know, especially in golf. Golf's a very, very hard sport. And for someone to be such at the top of their game and have so many challenges and issues and come back and win five years later, like for him to not give up and not like right. fall out of the scene completely, right? Like at one point he was going to be designing courses, right? And he was like not going to golf anymore, right? Yeah. And so for yeah, him to come back and crazy. win, it's I think that's fantastic. I hope I wish him the, all the most success and I hope he keeps winning. Yeah, it's it's inspiring. It's like it's one it's a it's a movie comeback. Like yep. that's like this is the kind of stuff like that happens in movies. Like you're out for 5 years and are you're out, you have this like like it's it's really like the full on movie like script where you have like you win, you do all this winning and everything's great, then you have this downfall and then you feel like you're back and then you fall again and then you come back and then you excel and you win again. Like it's literally that's literally how every Hollywood movie is written. Like you, there's a problem, you fix the problem, but then it, it's not really fixing the problem, and the problem gets worse, and then you have to deal with that, and then you win again. It's it's literally a Hollywood movie written out like a written out script. No one could even written this any better. Um, but he he the now today uh, on Twitter I was talking about whether Tiger is the greatest golfer of all time. So he doesn't have the most wins of all time, at least not yet. He has eighty, uh, but Sam Snead has eighty-two. Um, and as far as majors go, Tiger has 14, but Jack Nicholas has 18. And my argument was Tiger would have to beat both of them in order to be con- considered the greatest of all time. I, I feel like just golf is too traditional of a sport for someone to be like, oh, Tiger has the most wins ever. That makes him the greatest. I feel like he'd have to win the most majors and he'd have to have the most wins of all time for people to finally accept that Tiger is the greatest of all time. Well, I was going to say, I, I kind of disagree. Like, the because Tigers had to face a lot more challenges that those guys haven't. Yeah. And in his career as golf, because of the traditional atmosphere of golf, kind of like what we're talking about in tennis right now, you know, with Serena and all these right. other traditional issues. Like, Tigers faced a lot of challenges, and, like, I don't know. I, I think he could do it. Like, there's still time. I, I think he could pull it off. I think... I would, in my opinion, he is the greatest golfer of all time. I do believe he is. I, I agree. I think people would definitely. I think most people would would say that Tiger is the greatest, but then people would argue like, oh well, Sam Snead had all these like second place wins, even though like he didn't win all of them. He he finished runner up in a lot of them, and that would have made his number even higher. And then there's like, well, Jack Nicklaus like the majors. The majors is really what golf is all about, and he didn't win in the majors. So I, I get it. Trust me, I, I get it. I feel like if Tiger if Tiger beats Sam Snead over the next five years, if he wins, I think he has to win three more tournaments in order to be the leader. Like, there's no you got to give it to the guy. Like yeah. he's done some incredible things and played against some incredible competition at that. Yeah. Like the people, like the the way that athletes are 
I don't want to say manufactured, but the way that they're trained and prepped for the game today is insane. It's incredible how fine-tuned these athletes are today. And for Tiger to be so far ahead of all those guys for all those years and then to come back at age, I think he's 42, and, and win again, like that just puts him on a pedestal that I think people don't really recognize and people and people don't respect. But that, that's just my opinion. Obviously, I'm biased because I'm a Tiger fan and I love the game of golf. So take that with a grain of salt. But, but I, th- I, I think he should. I be. think you're right, though. I think that, like, you know, the the traditionalists in the sport of golf definitely will, you know, compare to every other person so they can hold on to that. You know, like it happens. It happens yeah. in every sport. But I, th- I think for Tiger, like the biggest the biggest challenge was all of his like, you know, personal stuff that he went through that kind of took away from like, you know, his legacy for a while. And mm-hmm. I also think that whether you, you know, like him as a human being or not, the determination to come back, especially coming so close over the last, you know, what has it been, 18 months, so many times, and, like, now really, like, you know, now winning, and that just speaks to, like, his drive as an athlete, and that's exactly what, you know a brand like Nike is going to see in a person to say, this is why we rock with this guy, you know, the same way that, you know, like that, that's like commitment to being the best and showing that you're going to come back from all of these things that should have sidelined you and probably would like sideline most people in their lives for who knows, maybe the rest of their lives. Right. I think it's just, I think it's just amazing that he's, able to do that and at 42 you know golf golf is a sport you can play for a very long time so you know i wouldn't be surprised if tiger is leaps and bounds over anybody on the pga tour and moving in you know onto the senior pga tour down the road and is undisputedly the best golfer of all time yeah, I mean, we can't That's forget be- about Jack Nicholas, though. I mean, amazing right. run, yeah, also yeah. amazing golfer. But I-, I think the key here that Jacques highlighted is there should be a film. And Jacques, we talked about you acting. We talked about you taking that and stepping in on Will Smith. <laughs> yes. I feel like yes. you should play Tiger. You're a golfer. You could yes. do it. Let's see the movie. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Uh, uh, whatever the talent agencies are, um, you can reach me at jock.slade at gmail.com because I know you guys are listening. Um, just putting that out there. Um, so quick question. This is going to be a little, little, a little off topic, but still talking about Tiger. Does, can a person's, can athletes, I'll say an athlete or an individual, an inventor or a creator of some type, does their personal life take away for their achievements in their respective fields and are is there like a certain kind of thing that they need to do this is probably more of like a sociology question um i just think of tiger and how great of an athlete he is and for all we know tiger could still be a terrible terrible male in that regards in regards to what he was doing before like how do we do we draw a line between those two or are they one in the same when we talk about that person 
That's such a tricky question. I mean, yeah. like it, instantly when you asked that question, I thought, okay, let's take Lance Armstrong, yep. right? Like amazing cyclist. He's still an amazing cyclist. Caught for doping, blurry line, pulled all his championships from him. You barely hear anything about him anymore, right? And that was his, that was his professional world. And that had a major right. impact, let alone his personal. Um, I think as social media has grown and everyone's in everyone's business constantly, I think you have to separate it a little bit. Like, he can make the personal decisions that he wants. I'm not, I'm not saying that they're right or he should be. But I do feel like, like athletes like him, like he's golfed since he was, what, four like he's been yeah. in the media in the spotlight like just like you know justin bieber like i don't have any clue what that's like and i'm sure the pressure from that is so like people do crazy things so right. i on some level do think they should be separated because tremendous athletes are tremendous athletes like that skill they work so hard for that skill and that should be respected i think it should be respected yeah i i agree i, th I think that there's you know, there's an elevated concern for what athletes do, you know, outside of their professional sport because of both the political climate in the world right now and the like, you know, the heightened visibility that we have into their lives. Um, and right. and yeah. I think that yeah. I think that those kind of those kind of things like we'll never really be able to separate them because you know unfortunately you you just can't right like i think of like lebron like i've watched lebron since he was in eighth grade basically on espn and you know to tiffany's point like i can't imagine the pressure that 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 man has had on him since that time and if i think back to like when i was 16 17 years old like Lord help us all if some of the stuff that I was doing then was out in the public space, right? Like, I, w I would right. not be proud of myself. I would not, like, I, I would be embarrassed of some of the stuff that I did back then. And it's not that to say that you can't grow through those things, but when you see people, you know, I think this, this, is, this is what's going to really be a tough thing for athletes moving forward, right? We're going to see more and more of these people because the instant they have some sort of success on the field, on the court, whatever that is, we're going to go find them on social media. You know, the, the Internet will find them. The, you know, a 12-year-old kid playing baseball right now might have, you know, 50 followers on his Instagram account. But he needs to make sure that he doesn't say anything off from now until, you know, his dream of playing professional baseball is done. Because, unfortunately... There are people that will go find, you know, you see it on Twitter all the time. And, and, you know, it works great in some cases, like politics, it's like, great. Like, if this person's a terrible human being, like, we want to know that they've covered up that they were a terrible human being. But, but the problem is, like, at 12 years old, 13 years old, you know, what do you know as a, as a human being? You don't think about how is this going to affect me 20 years from now? Like, that just is not a part of growing up and it shouldn't be, you know, like you should be able to just have fun and do what you do, but it makes it to where you're going to have a much harder time learning from mistakes. And, you know, because everything is, is out in the open and seen on social media. 
And we yeah. talked we that talked is. about last week that the media is overly negative, right? Like the yeah. Kaepernick ad, all that right. was talked about was the negative side. So even if you know Tiger apologizes, Lance apologizes, these people apologize for you know not being the perfect role model that everyone expected. The media kind of just glazes over that and focuses on what they did wrong, you know. So it's kind of not right. a win-win at all for them. And oh my word, if if everything I did from fourteen until you know thirty-five was public knowledge, oh my gosh, you know that it would I would be so devastated, you know. And and yeah, that, I agree with Nick. Like it's hard. And there's there's even like you know being like a Giants fan and a fan of Barry Bonds and like growing up in that era, like there's so much more to these issues that become issues because there's not consistency from, you know, like, like, let's say, you know, little league baseball, high school baseball, college baseball and the pros, right? Like the stuff that a lot of players got in trouble for in the like early nineties in professional baseball was like commonplace in my high school. Like you just took it because it was normal. Like you could go buy it at, at, you know, Rite Aid or the grocery store. Like you could get the supplements and those supplements, like if you started taking those, which thankfully I never went down that path, but if you started taking those at like, let's say 15 years old, you're used to performing at a certain level with the help of those supplements that potentially, you know, helped you grow as an athlete. And then, then you hit, you know, a certain level, whether that's college or pro, and it's against the rules. So now all of a sudden, you've got this huge, like, dr- you know, potential drop off in your performance because the rules don't allow you to, to, like, use the, you know, kind of advantages that you were able to find as a- an athlete prior. Now you have, you're, you're almost like setting yourself up for falling off the cliff, you know, like, how do you, how do you even deal with that? And I think like, there's a lot, there's so many gray areas and baseball back then was like the worst of it, right? Like, you know, there were guys that were kicked out of the game for taking steroids, but then there were guys that took steroids that, you know, played for a long time. There were guys that like literally did cocaine in the eighties before games and like if and, and then they would get kicked out, but they'd get let back in two years later. Like it was like commonplace where the yeah. rules were just so gray and so inconsistent across all the all the levels of the sport that that created a huge problem that, you know, basically went, you know, like from the 80s into the 90s and early 2000s. And I think that, you know, without that baseball would probably be a more popular sport still like you wouldn't have had all the problems but because you had all of that drama it takes away from the people's the fans ability to just enjoy the game and understand that these put these people put in a lot of work to become a great athlete whatever they did you know because like technology if you think about technology too like a, a guy that you know especially in nba right like somebody that somebody that rips their achilles like demarcus cousins 10 years ago would have been out for two years. 20 years ago would have been the end of their career. Now he's going to be, you know, nine months, but probably he'll be back on the, I mean, he's already been like shooting around and it's been what, four or five months. That's insane that, that technology allows us to, you know, advance the, the recovery of those injuries. And, you know, to argue that, like going back to the, who the greatest is, it's impossible to even compare generationally, when you think about like the the medical technology that's out now that athletes just never had back in the day yeah and even back those athletes back then like if you think about it 
they didn't train the way that athletes today yeah, train. Not at all. Something, something. Even they, they didn't take care of their bodies the way the athletes today take care of their bodies. It's just a, just a totally different, totally different era. But keeping it with the golf vibes, um, since we like to talk about shoes. Um, I was wondering if either one of you could let me borrow seven hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> let, let me sell my hybrid apps. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, reason I say that is because there are some people uh, at Footjoy. Uh, they take um, shoes, golf shoes, and they charge you seven hundred and fifty dollars for them. Now I know what you're thinking. That's a lot for a golf shoe. But uh, this is an investment in my game, <laughs> and I'm going to be a professional one day, hopefully. So $750 isn't too much to spend. Um, or, or is it too much to spend on a pair of golf shoes? Uh, well, you're, you're an early adopter, right? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's okay. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. I am an early adopter. So the shoes are they are they're basically a luxury take on golf shoes. They're handcrafted. They range from four hundred and seventy five to seven hundred and fifty dollars. If that isn't enough, you can get cashmere sweaters that start at three hundred and twenty five dollars or you can get yourself a nice polo uh, that is right in the hundred and sixty five dollar range. So I'm obviously not the customer that they're looking for um are there people paying 750 dollars for a golf shoe and is it just so you can say you paid 750 dollars for a golf shoe because i don't see anything about these that makes them feel particularly special and i think that's more of my issue with the 750 dollar price tag um they just look like something that I can get for two hundred bucks. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm missing something. Am I missing something here? I don't think so. I mean, I'm looking at it too, trying to figure out like what kind of leather are they using because it's seven hundred fifty dollars. I mean, even if you use the finest, and they say it's calf skin, the finest leather ever, and they say it's handmade. Well, okay, all shoes are basically handmade. I mean, it's a very manual process. Um, I'm not getting, like, I thought there would be something in them that would tell you that your golf swing was off and this is what you do and it always fixes it. Or um, maybe it automatically fixes your golf swing for you. (laughs) I mean, I just, I mean, they're making a lot of money on these is what I think is happening, you know. And FootJoy has a great reputation in golf, too. So I don't get it. I don't don't see it. Yeah, that's the interesting thing for me because... Like I don't Footjoy isn't a luxury brand. If Footjoy if if like this were these were like Versace or Gucci golf shoes and they were seven hundred and fifty dollars, I would go, Okay. That's cheap. I get it. I get it. That, yeah, right. That's cheap. These are these are on discount. Are you sure these are Gucci? These are not Fucci. These are not Fucci. These are these are actually Gucci golf shoes. Like but for these, for Footjoy to do it and you know, maybe it's just a new market that they're trying to get into. I just don't see. I don't know. I don't see the path. Maybe I just don't see it. Like, like you said, they're made. They're made of calfskin. Okay, that's great. Suede heel pockets and cork layered fit beds. Uh, I imagine they mean foot beds. Um, yeah. That mold yeah. to your that mold to your feet over time. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, so do so, Birkenstocks, and they have cork, you know, cork bottoms. And, yeah, and they're a bit cheaper. <laughs> yeah, so this is. I mean, it's peculiar, and 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 this looks like they have wood outsoles, which, like, I don't even know if can you play golf with a wooden outsole like that's there's like no give like no nothing for your your foot to move they're leather I, I don't that's know. leather yeah oh that's leather that's layered leather, leather. Like yep like yeah layered leather but yep. it's oh just man this is i don't know i mean i think it's i mean I gol- golfers are known to spend money yeah on exactly t- that is like true. tools and tricks and little toys to make them better so i mean if of all the sports i mean this this does. I mean, I I would see golfers paying for it. You know, think of the country clubs and stuff. And yep. yeah, no problem. Seven fifty. Yeah. Apparently, there's a several high-end golf manufacturers, PXG and Miura, Miura, M-I-U-R-A, um, for hot that they sell high-end equipment in the golf world. And I guess Footjoy is trying to get a piece of that pie. I I just. I don't know. I, I when I think Foot Joy, I don't think high end luxury footwear. But maybe they're trying. Maybe this is a branding thing, and they're changing. And eventually, I'll think Foot Joy, and I'll be like, "That's like Gucci, but for golf." <laughs> um, but I just don't think that now. Right now, I think Foot Joy, and I think, "Oh, that's like the sneakers of golf." Uh, but anyway, maybe I that's mean, just me. I don't par- know. Part of being a luxury brand is having a name that's hard to pronounce, right? <laughs> so Foot Joy. <laughs> Food, yeah, foot joy. Not... I don't know. Yeah, it's food joy. <laughs> food, food, food joy. Uh, it's our luxury line. Uh, anyway, keeping with uh, stuff that goes on your feet, um, and this actually has a golf, a bit of a golf tie-in. The Air Jordan Thirty Three. Now we talked about this a little bit last week, and the shoe has officially launched. But they're updating the Air Jordan 33 in several ways that um, I find pretty interesting. One, um, they've, I don't want to say they've abandoned, but they've gone away from the luxury approach of the signature shoe in the Jordan line. And then the second thing is they've removed the laces and they're using these cords for what they call the fast fit system to lock your foot in. And by which I will say works very well. It works very well. But the reason I say it has a golf connection is because golf, uh, particularly Adidas golf, they use the BOA system, which uses, I believe they actually use metal cords. Uh, and it looks like um, for, the, for the 33, they're not using metal. Um, but it uses that same system where it kind of cinches closed. You twist the little disc and it locks your foot in. And they actually use it for more than golf. The bowl system, they use it on boots uh, as well. That I've seen on work boots. And But I, I first saw it on golf shoes. And when I first saw the Jordan 33, that's what it made me think of right away. And I guess I don't – I guess I, I'm, I'm hoping that it, it has – it's more functional than just saying, hey, this is cool because we, we did it on the Nike Golf Tour Premier shoe and we're just putting it in the AJ33. I hope it has some function there, maybe, hopefully. I mean, I think the, the you know, the kind of like wired lacing system has been around for quite a while outside of even just the golf stuff, right? Like, I know Solomon has been yeah. doing that on their trail shoes for probably decades, it seems like, and then... Puma did it with a disc back in the '90s, and now it's all retro stuff. So, I think it's I think it's a cool like attempt to just do something different. I do I do think it's interesting that they are going away from like the kind of luxury, um, you know, high end feel that that you talked about. Um, but 
I also think that it's kind of like about time. Um, you know, I love Flight Plate, or I forget what the new version is, but uh, I, I love Flight, yeah, Flight Speed. Speed. Like, I love that technology. I love the feel of that on foot. But there's nothing that, to me, there's nothing about the signature Jordan model that says luxury anymore. Like, there's way too many, you know, other brands making, quote, luxury shoes, even FootJoy, right? So, like, why bother trying to say that we're using better materials when we all know the difference? You know, we all see that certain shoes, you know, I think everybody uses, like, the Shattered Backboard Ones as an example, right? Like, the, the, the materials on that shoe always seemed so much better than a lot of the other Jordan 1 retros. So, like, if... I get a pair of, you know, the the new signature Jordan model and it doesn't feel as to that level, but you're still trying to sell it as a, you know, a premium version or a premium product, then it feels like there's a disconnect there. So I also think that like in terms of just, you know, what a shoe does for you on court, premium materials fall far below like innovative design and technology on the priority list. And I think that, I think this is a good move for Jordan. Um, but I also kind of feel like it's, it's almost overdue, long overdue. I mean, I think it's, you know, it blurs the lines when they take the Lux out, blurs the lines between Jordan and Nike basketball, you know, Nike basketball has never really been Lux. So I, I wish they would stay more Lux in Hmm. Jordan. To me, I think it looks a little bit space, related like you know futuristic and spacey which you know i don't really associate necessarily with jordan brand but i I could with lux so i think it's interesting the approach they took on it um i'm not seeing an overall negative response though in comments and stuff you know i i feel like it's generally mostly positive Have, have you guys seen negative or positive or it's definitely been mostly positive i've seen a mix yeah yeah. The, the, the interesting thing for me is, you know, obviously the look of the shoe kind of plays into it as well. And I feel like the 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 toe down, I'm I'm, I'm just not in love with the toe down at, at all. Um, and, and I think that's a that's a big thing for me. I think like the, the toe down of a shoe has to look nice to me. Um, when I look down at my shoes, I have to be happy with the way that looks. But the the um the side profile of the shoe i think it looks great like the side profile looks amazing but the toe down i'm just not in love with and that that bothers me um i i know it's going to play great like i love flight speed the unlocked zoom like that's really great uh, they have the like the the kushlon or a version of kushlon carrier that that looks great like it all it all looks good but I just I'm just not in love with the toe down, and then the materials as well. Like the mesh at the toe, the textile that they're using at the toe feels very thin. Um, my hope is that it'll hold up to like some rough basketball, um, but it just feels thin. It's it's an in- it's interesting, and it d- it huh. doesn't feel like a a luxury or the premium signature shoe from Jordan brand to me. <laughs> I feel like if they took that Nike Air logo off the heel, no one would expect that that was the Jordan signature shoe. They would think that that was just a shoe, an inline Jordan. My my opinion. Hmm. Um, 
I think it's it's I don't know it just for it just doesn't doesn't seem to have the flair that a signature shoe from Jordan brand usually has. Uh, I like the concept of the flight suit and like the way that the shoes develop and it has like a the the flight suit inspiration how they wrap the layers and the the eject and the pool and all those little accents like those are great I think those look really great I don't know I'm just not I just, it just doesn't doesn't feel totally signature to me it doesn't feel premium to me and that's something that I guess I've always associated with Jordan mm-hmm. brand yeah I think the I think you know I w- before I left Nike I was involved early, early days on a similar project, you know, and, and even hyperadapt having the ability to micro adjust your laces on the fly. Like that, that's what I, I think is actually a luxury thing a little bit. You know, when you think of a boa and you think of boas mm-hmm. reels and their knobs, like that doesn't come off luxury, right? It comes off like convenience, mm-hmm. but yeah, utility, yeah, utility, utilitarian. Exactly. Exactly. But Actually having that ability to make micro adjustments from the beginning of the game to the end after your feet swell, like from the biomechanics and the blood flow, like that's really important. And I I like the idea that they're getting this on basketball shoes, you know, short of not having auto lacing um, in basketball, like this gives athletes a way to micro adjust for foot swelling or any kind of foot discomfort versus, you know, having to relace their shoes and take the time out to do that. So to me, that's like a sort of a luxe advantage. You know, this this shoe's definitely way more technical, I think, than than like a like maybe past years of flight plate. Like you know the advantage you're getting, right? You've got that lacing system; you can literally feel it changing. But I haven't seen the shoe yet. And you said Jacques that some of the materials seem a little thin. Uh, and I know a few people yeah. commented that like, there's one lace. What if that lace breaks? Like it's not yeah. relaceable, you know. So. There's definitely some concerns, but it's interesting. I think it's an interesting challenge. Yeah, it, it's definitely going. It's definitely going to be to be to be interesting. How um, if a lace breaks? Like, how is that taken care of? I mean, I, well, you know what? Nike has a great return policy. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not I'm not opposed. Uh, I mean, if something breaks, you definitely can get it fixed um, or get, get a replacement pair from Nike. So that's not, I guess, too much of a concern i guess i was just more just like the utility uh, of the of the boa and the way that it looks it just didn't i don't know it just for some reason it doesn't scream premium luxury to me and maybe that's just my my old school impression of what i'm supposed to get from jordan brand um and i say this not to take anything away from tate i think tate created an incredible product like hats off to tate uh, like i love the guy um and the the design is is great for basketball and i think it's going to be a cool shoe i just it just doesn't scream luxury to me as far as like a jordan signature shoe basketball shoe i think it's going to be great but as far as like the the prestige i guess that i reserve for a jordan signature shoe i don't feel that with this shoe and i think that's that that's interesting that to me is i think the, the big takeaway right the the feel of luxury might be missing but in my opinion, the, the signature Jordan model hasn't really sold that well in the last three, four years. It seems like there's a lot of energy around it when it launches. The launch colorway sells. Maybe, you know, a colorway here and there because they throw a college team on it or an exclusive colorway or something. Yeah. But overall, like, you see a lot of really great shoes in the outlets at a pretty heavy discount. So I'm thinking that maybe this is 
like turning things to, to the right in terms of sales, you know, like my kind of marketing background is like, this is exciting for me because there is a lot of positive, you know, feedback out there. There is a lot of people or, you know, there's a lot of energy around it. There's a lot of people talking about, you know, wanting a pair that normally I wouldn't see those people saying that. So I'm kind of excited to see how it does from a, from a, you know, more of a sales perspective for like the, the general yeah. consumer. So it sounds like that's and they knocked in two surprises from Jordan selling lifestyle only shoes and a non lux signature shoe. Yeah, and they dropped the price of the signature shoe ten bucks too, so that should help ho- hopefully move um, and generate some sales. So they went from one eighty five down to one seventy five. Wow, um, so cheaper well, than the LeBron. Yeah, cheaper than the LeBron, and then the um, although they're one eighty five worldwide. But in the U.S., they're 175, which I didn't know there was a difference between the two. Hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the new rule. Once 175 U.S., 185 globally, hmm. is how they're saying it. Um, just a quick question for you, Tiffany, regarding like the unlacing your shoes during a game. Is there is there a benefit to that? I always feel like once I loosen my shoes or untighten my shoes, that it kind of gives the fit it lose you lose the fit so to speak because your foot changes because now it has more room to breathe and to end or grow is there a benefit to to having that ability like uh, that that quick ability um i can't say specifically but from my work on the hyper adapt like allowing so usually when you tighten a basketball shoe you like you tighten it super super tight right because most people are afraid they're going to twist their ankle right and so they tighten it up super tight so they have tons of support and over time you know that's constricting the blood flow to your foot now we'd have to get someone you know medical in here or biomechanics in here for specifics but I know that letting the blood flow get back into the foot, you know, refreshes when when blood can get back in there, it refreshes the tissues and everything. So it seems like mm. it would make sense that it would provide some sort of refresh. However, that being said, you know, when materials get wet, so as they get as your foot gets sweatier and sweatier, materials will expand, you know, and there's a little bit of play in standard shoelaces and if there's leathers, um, and knits, you know, they'll they'll expand just slightly based on the moisture, loosening things up a little, uh, and your sock liner will start to compress, and you know, wear starts to happen. So, you know, I think the, in my opinion, I always thought, you know, like, what if you threw on a brand new pair of shoes at halftime? Not new, but broken in, right? But dry. What if you put on mm. a dry pair and you relace them based on how your foot's swollen now? you know, would that give you a better advantage? You know, I, I don't know. I don't, I've never done any studies on this. I'm sure someone probably has, but it's a great, it's a great question. Yeah, that is a really great question. Maybe um, the, the, the solution is to create a shoe where you can remove the booty and slide a booty back in. That's dry. Weren't there some Kobe's? Ever done that? Some Kobe's yeah. yeah, yeah. with some proprioceptive <laughs> yeah, yeah. sleeves. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's 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 exactly what it is. I was that's what I was hinting at. Uh, but uh, for those of you that want to get the uh, Air Jordan Thirty Three, um, they release on here in the U.S. on October the eighteenth. There'll be one hundred and seventy 
$5. And I think that released globally on October 4th, uh, but that's only going to be in Asia. Um, and we can't actually get the colorway that's dropping in Asia. There's two colorways dropping in Asia. I think we'll get the white, black, and red one here, but the all black and then like the blue colorway will release over uh, over in Asia on October 4th. And then October 18th, we get we get to try them on. Um, but I do think they're going to be a fantastic basketball shoe. So um, if you're looking for a new shoe in that up that 150 to $200 range, um, I think the Air Jordan 33 is something you should definitely put on your list. And we'll see a lot of NBA players in it this year as well. Um, so that'll be exciting seeing some of the PEs that come out uh, of Jordan brand um, for the athletes, especially since they can wear whatever they want this year as far as colors go. I should, I, should, I should let me clarify that they can wear whatever colors they want this year during the games. That's that's a very specific. Um, but moving on, talking about material still and sneakers. Uh, Tiffany found this one and. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I think it sounds really cool. There are mushroom leather materials made out of mushrooms, obviously, but it's it's super interesting. And um, Tiffany, I'm gonna let you lead on this one because I feel like I'm just going to destroy all the facts that can come <laughs> out of this. Um, and it's probably better that you provide actual information as opposed to me rambling on about fibers, textiles, leathers, sustainables, and fungus. So I'll let you go ahead and take over. <laughs> Although I'd like to hear that. <laughs> yeah, right, right? I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, so I've noticed this trend where people are starting to talk about fungus-based leathers, right? Or mushroom leathers. And so this company, Natu, actually, so N-A-T dash the number two, came out with a fungi line of shoes where they're using this mushroom leather. Now the rest of the shoe has like environmentally friendly materials in it also, but specifically this mushroom leather was fascinating. So they're literally, they're particularly using a fungus tree, but this other group called Myco Works and they're in the Bay area, they started making leather from mushrooms. Now, their leather is actually so the the whole reason that these people are looking at replacing leather is because the leather process i mean although it's renewable right because the animals you can grow them and make more animals but it's still it's coming from an animal and the actual process of tanning the leather uses chemicals like chromium and a ton of water and there's a ton of waste in it so they're trying to basically replace leather because people love leather right it's the material uh, how it wears, the durability of it, how it looks, and even how it smells on some level. So Nike came out with fly leather, right? Which is their kind of replacement for leather, which is more sustainable. But this company, Mycoworks, is growing fungus mushroom leather. And they're growing it so fast. Basically, they can grow a hide of leather. So imagine a cow hide of leather. It's pretty large. A cowhide right. takes two years to grow. In their YouTube videos, oh, wow. they're saying they're growing the fungus version of this leather in two weeks. So they're going from two years down to two weeks. Now, their leather isn't quite as strong or durable as cowhide. They said it's equivalent to the strength of deer hide. And I'm not, I mean, I know deer hide is softer, deer leather, softer, lamb, goat, that's all softer than cow, but. Um, I just thought it was amazing that these mushrooms are growing enough in two weeks to provide an entire hide, cow hide of 
leather that can be used in goods instead of cows. Wait, is this just one mushroom that's grown to the size of a cow? <laughs> I don't I don't know about that. Like they they don't get oh. specifically oh. like what they're doing, but it looks like that. It looks like that based on the video. You know, check out their YouTube page. It's it's Myco M Y C O W O R K S. Myco works, um, and they're also making bricks out of it. So this is there's more articles in that. Like they make bricks that replace like concrete bricks that are made to build houses. Yeah, wow. like that's, that's, that's how amazing. strong this stuff is. It's crazy, right? Like. We're all going to be wearing mushrooms in no time. <laughs> I, that's, that's it really amazing. is like kind of interesting to, to think about why we're so kind of infatuated with leather as consumers. Because I, I agree, like the, the, the reasons that you stated, right? Like the feel, the durability, kind of like the way that it wears. All those things are so unique about the way like really nice leather products age. And I think... This is really fascinating to me and probably even, you know, you know, talking about building bricks, but like I, I immediately think of like car stuff, Tiffany, where, you know, there's so many variations of fiber based products that also like just become, you know, like carbon fiber or whatever becomes so much stronger. I wonder like how as this kind of focus on creating something that that is familiar to everybody, but also eventually they're going to find ways to make this that much more stronger. And you're probably right. We might all be wearing like mushroom stuff soon. They can engineer this. So they're like, if you look on their website, they can engineer it to have the texture you want. Colors are like limitless and the different material qualities like, it, I just think it's amazing, and I think it'll actually probably replace a lot of leathers, you know? I mean, people are still going to eat beef, so we'll still have leather yeah. as a byproduct, but, you know, this this could be a fascinating, fascinating material, you know? Yep. So is is something like this, is it biodegradable? Is, oh, it's 100% biodegradable materials. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure that I'm That's sure they'll amazing. get to a point, right? I think it says something like wood fibers are are part of this particular version right but i'm sure we'll get to a point where you know the priority will shift and you'll be looking at things that need to have more durability and eventually they'll you know mix things kind of to 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 extend the durability or the wear or the strength of that that particular product but because it's so easy to make and such a shorter duration to make then I mean, it just becomes almost like limitless and and then obviously throw on the color on top of that. There's so many things even outside of just like, you know, say footwear or fashion that this kind of stuff could be really, really like amazing for it, especially if they're able to like, you know, kind of engineer it all the way through. It it might take, I mean, it could replace plastic in a lot of, you know, odd scenarios, I would imagine. Not even odd, I'll bet common. Like I it they even mentioned that, right? That they can grow textures in and and like oh man. I can't wait to see where this company takes this. I'll definitely be checking out their website to to find more, but but yeah, mushrooms. Mushrooms guys, who'd have thought? <laughs> who would have thought? Yeah. I'm interested in learning about this deer leather and like how 
how durable that is. Is that something that you can use for like that? Does it have like I'm going to I'm going to throw out a big word here and act like I know what it mean means um, like what's the tinsel strength of deer leather versus cow leather? Um, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, there, <laughs> Tiffany. Um, no, you can I'm float right? on that. You can float on that. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, that's what Mitch was because I, I just I don't I, I don't recall hearing anything about deer leather before. Oh yeah, or um, something made out of deer leather. I, I feel like I'm I'm sure that there's stuff on market that's made out of it, and it's probably crazy expensive. That's why I've never heard of it because uh, it's out of my price range. But I'm, I'd be interested to find out more. I, I imagine like a woman's purse made out of deer leather would feel amazing or something like that, or maybe like a, a belt. Maybe I don't even know if a belt would work because I feel like that's yeah. So they call it deer deer skin, right? Is what it's like. Like there's a differentiation between leathers and skins. And so, like, calf skin, deer skin. Like, I don't know that you necessarily have deer leather, but, um, and then mm. you have lamb and goat. And so, like, lamb skin is, like, super, super soft, right? It's, like, mm. the weakest, and it's really soft. Goat's very, very fine, too, and also thin. But then, you know, like, deer's a little bit thicker, a little bit stronger, but it still kind of has that softness to it. And then you have... um calf skin and then cow skin and cow you know gets split so there's two layers to it there's full grain which is the top layer and the bottom layer split leather so like if you look at the materials in your shoes a lot of time it'll say split leather it'll say full grain leather it'll Mm -hmm. say calf skin or it'll say deer skin i i don't recall i mean i remember using deer skin quite a bit for linings or different things on some very special shoes but i don't know that we ever went to market with a deer skin uh, shoe, but I would almost say leather or uh, lamb, lamb and goat are more expensive than deer. I know, I, I know. Oh, there's yeah. like a lot of uh, uh, like like boots, not not like boots, but like yeah, more like like uh, I guess fashionable, you know, shoes. Kind of kind of like the the in between of like what I would say is traditional hard bottoms and like. And boots like those kind of like chukas and a lot of those I've seen in deerskin. All right, all right. Uh, well, keeping with alternative means of doing things, uh, let's transition to music and make it super awkward. Uh, so from mushrooms to music, there's there's a story today, and this is for all you artists out there, myself included, that uh, Spotify is going to allow you to upload music yourself. Now, this is a big deal because it prevents the middleman from basically taking money from you um, is how is how I see it um, previous up till now in order for an artist to get his or her music on Apple or Spotify or Google they had to go through a middleman um, before they could upload their music to the service but Spotify is removing that barrier and allowing you to upload music to yourself right now it is in a limited beta so everyone can't do it quite yet but I think this is a step in the right direction. Um, there's so many independent artists these days, so many artists that are doing things on their own, paying for their own productions, and that own all of their their music and everything and doing everything as a one-man band or one-man person. And this will allow them to kind of cut out the middleman and make more money for themselves, which I only see as a good thing. now there will be a flood of music on Spotify now that you probably won't listen to. 
but that comes along with the territory of enabling artists to have a better control over their futures and over the product that they send out, which I think is a good thing, personally. I, I do too. I think it's. I think this is a step in the right direction. Uh, you know, Spotify is definitely one of the more, um, you know, one of the I would say top three or four uh, streaming platforms for music, obviously. But you know, beyond that, even you know, there's there's a lot of video content on there now. I, I do think that like. I think it's great that they're actually just moving this into a beta because as much as as creators want to put stuff out there, it becomes a uh, there's a challenge in like man in managing those, you know, let's say, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of uploads potentially. If you wanted to, you know, you know, this kind of thing is gonna encourage people to create more, right? So if let's say an artist wants to create a new track every day for the next 365 days, inevitably there's going to be challenges in whatever that looks like. You know, anybody that's creating wants to have numbers, wants to have feedback, wants to have access to, you know, data and, you know, stats that you can, you know, pull and compare and contrast, you know, how things work. And I think that's going to be the biggest challenge of all this. Just like, you know, SoundCloud has been been that place for a long time, but you know, th- this probably puts them on edge because why? You know, they don't. Yeah. They, you don't. There's a lot of there's a lot of great stuff on SoundCloud, um, like outside the box. But obviously, um, True. you know, Spotify has uh, they've they've been a really successful business, especially in terms of like working on both sides of of the the music business which this gives even more advantage to you know kind of the more entry level or do-it-yourself uh you know artists to to put it on spotify because soundcloud doesn't quite have that even though it's the trendy you know soundcloud rappers and everybody wants to be there right now at the end of the day like there's a there's a huge business opportunity for musicians and artists to do what what they do and and make money at it and spotify has a much bigger system behind the scenes in my opinion than soundcloud so this is uh kind of exciting to see I, I'll, I'll be curious to see how uh, you know soundcloud kind of comes back and and responds and potentially you know i think competition is just good for everybody so yeah, I, I I will say as awesome as I think this is, I still think that streaming services don't pay artists enough. I'll still put that out there. Like it, it's great that they're doing this, but streaming services I do feel don't pay artists what they're due for the sort of service that they provide. But that's a different topic entirely, and I'm not here. And to like you said, hopefully, uh, like you said, show. hopefully this this cuts the middleman out and allows artists to make more money. You know, we we we. Just, did we talk about that? I think we talked about that last week, right? Like the, the you know, the laws are kind of changing around um, how people get paid, who gets paid. So you have writers that are getting paid now. Might be minimal, but if everybody's, you know, get knows that they're going to actually get paid from something, there's a lot more opportunity to collaborate, work together, and actually create something that could go much further than, you know, just one individual or one, you know, cr- one group putting something out there. Absolutely. Uh, and for the last story, this is just a, really just a random one that, that I saw today. There was a kid that uh, 
was his boat sort of thing. He he he's I think this was in Thailand. He fishes for a living and his the part of the boat that he was on detached from its anchor and he was floating out at sea for 49 days and he survived. Um, what? I just want to <laughs> I just want to put it out there now. Just say goodbye to me. Um, <laughs> if that happened to me. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Just know crazy. that I would not make it for 49 days. It's incredible. He's I think he was like a 19-year-old kid and the his boat or whatever it was, it detached from the anchor, floated out to sea. He saw 10 ships before he was rescued and he basically caught fish, which was his job and ate the fish and that he was filtering water through his clothes to remove some of the salt uh, from the ocean and was drinking that. And he was able to survive for 49 days. So um, I see that as a big kudos to the human spirit of what you can do uh, if you don't give up and keep trying. I just find that that this story was just amazing to me. And I just wanted to make sure I shared that um, and put put that out there. Anyway, with that being said, uh, I think that's going to be the end of the show today. This is another great episode of Outside the Box. Uh, I am Jacques Sage. You guys can find me at Cousteau all over the internet. That's K-U-S-T-O-O. That's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. That's on the YouTubes, uh, if you've ever heard of those things. And uh, as I always say, this show would not be what it is without the other two people on this show. If we were three kids in one household, I am the bad middle child that's always messing things up. I'm the one searching for love (laughs) and attention while the other two get it because they're just amazing human beings uh with that being said this is tiffany this is nick nick tell them where they can find uh, at nick engel on all platforms n-i-c-k-e-n-g-v-a-l-l or at sneaker history sneakerhistory.com but uh like i said at the beginning of the show the real reason we're here is just because we feel cool talking to tiffany tiffany let them know how they can find you true oh you too uh you can find me at tiffany beers t-i-f-f-a-n-y-b e-e-r-s on instagram and youtube and you know jacques story of this teen surviving 49 days on a boat that is why i don't do boats no boats no boats just no boats (laughs) well technically it wasn't it wasn't a boat it was technically a fishing trap a floating fishing trap known locally as a rum pong so it's actually in Indonesia, not Thailand. No, uh, so no floating just items. Just that out there. No floating items. No floating items at all. No, no floating. Floating. You're done. Uh, so if you're on a floating item, item and listening to the show, we uh, <laughs> thank you for listening. Um, and for those that aren't on floating items and listening to the show, you can find us online during the week at Outside Pods. That's on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, you can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on Google. You can find us on iTunes. And um, you can find us probably in the streets because that's the kind of life we live. We're thugs (laughs) like that. As always, guys, we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. And we'll see or talk to you next week. Peace.